Hi, and welcome to The Smell Podcast. I am your host, Katie Boating. Happy Anosmia Awareness Day 2020. Today's episode is a special one to celebrate today. For this show, I had the opportunity to speak with Marge Rosner, a fellow acquired anosmic from Washington, D.C. Marge and I had the opportunity to travel to Philadelphia in June 2019 to be interviewed for the Monell Center Anosmia Awareness video, which is titled Tackling Smell Loss. Please make sure that you check out the video. The link will be posted in the episode description, and it's being published today. All right, let's listen in to Marge and I's conversation about her life with anosmia. Hi, Marge. Welcome to the Smell Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, it's about 40 degrees here, and it's been raining for three days. My backyard is flooded. Aside from <laughs> that, I'm good. <laughs> That's awesome. Can you can we start off? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, okay. Where are you from, and where are you, where are you currently living? Okay, I was born in Detroit, Michigan, and uh, moved to the suburbs when I was eleven. But I actually remember Detroit as quite a wonderful place. I liked the urban life. Um, my family moved out to the suburbs, and you couldn't walk anywhere. And I didn't actually like it very much. And when I was in, I think the ninth grade. We had a class trip to Washington, D.C., and when I left Detroit Metropolitan Airport on May 1st, we had mountains of black snow. That's what happens in the winter when you've got long winters. There are sections of parking lots that are designated for snow dumping, and by May, they're all crusted over and ugly. Anyway, when I left Michigan in May on May 1st, there was black snow. When I arrived in Washington, the, um, the temperature was... 68 degrees and the flowers were in bloom and I came home and said that's where I'm going to move and you know what that's where I live today oh that's so cool (laughs) (laughs) just kind of I'm sidetracked already but like your first trip to DC what was that like for you besides the weather being awesome so that was the first thing uh I mean I never liked cold weather ever when people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up I would say gone and um, as much as I liked Detroit and didn't like the suburbs, I just I knew that I just didn't want to live there. So, so I mean, it was it was a great place. That actually, the Art Institute in Detroit is just a wonderful place. But I just you know, Washington was first of all there were monuments here. Uh, it seemed really clean. The weather was beautiful. The azaleas were in full bloom. I my mother had packed me like sleeveless clothes. Who knew? And it just it was. It was just so seductive. I loved it. And so um, I went to college, graduate school, and packed up and came here straight out of school. That's awesome. I've been to D.C. a few times now, and it's been pretty great both times. I went once in June and once in October. And then Mm -hmm. I think most recently, again, I don't remember what month it was, but you had a special dinner at your home. Right, right. What month was that? Uh, that's a good question. I should know the answer to that. Maybe December? November? No, it was, November? it was before November. Yeah, so I've been there a few times, and it's it was been pretty fall. great. Yeah, yeah. it's just, it's a wonderful city. A lot of history, um, a lot of people who come here to be powerful, and that's a little disconcerting sometimes. But I can remember early on, I uh, had bought my first car, and I could barely afford the payments but at some point I drove it for a very long time and I needed new tires and I can remember driving past the White House to go to a tire store and buy new tires and I thought the juxtaposition of 
there is the White House, and I'm going to go buy tires. <laughs> kind of struck me as so so bizarre, and I thought, I'm the luckiest person in the world to live in this city, and I still that's, love it. That's awesome. So can you share with us your anosmia story? What's your background um, with anosmia? Okay, so in May of 2018, um, I had a really wicked virus and I get up respiratory infections with some regularity as a kid. In fact, I used to get them and wouldn't be able to smell or taste anything for a week, two weeks, three weeks at a time. But it always got better. And this time, I got this infection. I was reasonably sick, you know, sneezing, coughing, the leftover cough that lasts for three weeks or something. And as I got better... Um, I realized I didn't have any smell or taste. And I thought, well, okay, no big deal. It's happened before, but it didn't get better. And after about a month, I went to an ENT, uh, to a regular doctor that I have. And he said, well, there's this condition. And, you know, the first thing we do is a smell and a smell, scratch and smell test, which is the 40 question test. Mm -hmm. And then we give you steroids, prednisone, the whole thing. And if it comes back, if your smell and taste comes back, you're, you're lucky. And if it doesn't, learn to live with it because that's the answer. Mm. And so it's been almost, well, I guess it's been a year and a half now. Yeah. And it's not back. So Yeah. That sounds like such a typical story. I think it's a very typical story. I actually remember the last when I kind of realized that there was something more going on, I was at the at a state fair in Frederick, Maryland with my sister. And we had these amazing lamb burgers. And I thought, these, this is the most wonderful food. And that's the last thing I remember actually tasting. Mm. And after that, it was like, hmm, it's gone again. And then it just never came back. So yeah, that's that's sort of the basic. I mean, I think it's a pretty normal story, but... Um, at the moment, I didn't, I didn't understand it was normal. I didn't have any sense that there were people out there with the condition. Uh, it was one of these mysterious and at the at that particular moment quite horrifying idea because I I liked to cook, I liked going to restaurants, I liked exploring different foods. When I was a kid, my dad used to take us to all of these ethnic neighborhoods, and we would eat ethnic food and I grew up with that as the norm and so to suddenly not being able to be able to taste or smell I mean my first reaction was food it was sort of less uh, impactful on me that I would put on cologne in the morning and couldn't smell it or that I would shampoo my hair and I couldn't smell it or that um, I would brew a pot of coffee and couldn't smell it those were sort of less impactful to me than oh my God, I can't taste Indian food or, um, you know, that sort of thing. So that actually leads in like leads very nicely into my next question of how has your relationship with food and eating changed since you became anosmic? So I had this naive notion that if I couldn't smell or taste food, I wouldn't want to eat it. And therefore the side benefit of it was that I would get incredibly thin and as I say, that, that was a really naive notion because... <laughs> it doesn't work that way, huh? It doesn't work that way. I had this sort of quest. I was trying to will myself 
to taste food. Yeah. And so I would sort of obsessively go through the refrigerator and say, okay, can I taste cucumbers? Can I taste mustard? Uh, can I taste pickle relish? You know, can I taste diet soda? And, and so the diet was the good part. The rest of it wasn't so good. But I was sort of obsessed in the beginning with forcing my brain to make me taste things. Mm-hmm. And so I ate everything in sight. And, right. I mean, it was it was absurd because I mean the outcome was obvious and it was clear and it wasn't changing, but I I just kept trying to talk myself into okay, I'm going to eat that piece of, ro- of fried chicken, and it's going to taste good. It's going to taste like fried chicken, and it just didn't. Right. So, so it's I did not lose any weight. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think that's something that I've heard from other people too. Is there's a little bit of frustration with people who do not have anosmia saying that, oh, it must be nice to have anosmia because you're going to get so skinny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, no, you know, it doesn't work that way. Correct. And, you know, and for the first minute, I really did think that was the case until right. I realized, you know, there's a, and the, the other reality is, is that you sort of get past the notion that you can't taste things anymore and you begin to figure out, okay, where is the gratification in mm-hmm. food? And maybe not everybody doesn't go through that, but when you, when you're sort of a, an amateur foodie, you just need that gratification. And so right. I began I began sort of thinking about the texture of food or the temperature of food. And there were certain things I actually could, I, I don't say taste, I say flavor, because that's kind of what it is. So, you know, I could flavor lemon and I could flavor sweetness. And so, and, 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 and so when I would com- combine those things that I could sort of recognize with different temperatures, I sort of developed a, a sort of an alternative sense of gratification from food. Yeah. And kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier, you actually had a special dinner at your home this last fall mm-hmm. and I was able to attend and it was fabulous. Can you Thank tell you. us, this is off topic now, but can you tell us a little bit about your menu for that dinner? Can I share with the listeners? Sure. So there was a conference at NIH and initially we had thought that we would gather people in a restaurant and I tried to get a couple of restaurants to volunteer their services. Let's put it that way. Ultimately it was a little bit frustrating and it, it ended up that the doctors from NIH were, it was just a difficult process. And we ended up deciding the, the better part of valor was just to entertain in my house. And since I used to cook, I still kind of know how, although I don't cook the same way that I used to. What I decided to do was prepare a menu of foods that, for one reason or another, were gratifying and satisfying to me mm-hmm. with a, a limited or non-existent sense of smell or taste. So the main course was a poached salmon, and I can't explain why, but I can taste salmon. Mm. Salmon tastes like it used to taste. And so I cooked a whole salmon. Uh, I prepared a couple of sauces with it. One of them was for other people. One of them was for me, which was a horseradish sauce. So horseradish apparently um, works through the trigeminal nerve behind your ear and bypasses your olfactory bulbs. So horseradish is one of those foods that you actually, I actually can uh, recognize as the same as it used to be. Mm-hmm. So there's a horseradish sauce. Rice, for the life of me, I don't know why I can smell rice. I can't taste it, but I can smell it. So oh. I served rice. Yeah. Um, 
I can't remember exactly what was on the menu, but I think that there was some co- a corn dish as well. Don't yeah, you why. had this awesome corn dish with different kinds of salts. That's right. And so and I can taste corn. I was, I've never been a, a, a fan, particularly before this condition, of Tex-Mex. But tortillas are something I can, corn tortillas are something I can taste. And they taste genuine. Mm-hmm. which is kind of a hard way to describe it, but it, it is what it is. They taste as they used to taste. I didn't used to like them. Now I do. So I eat a lot of things that are cooked in tortillas. And I think I prepared it, maybe an appetizer that was a, a little bit of a tortilla dish. Yes, um, you did. Okay. And and you so, also had shrimp cocktail, which was pretty good. <laughs> right. So for some reason, um, I can I can taste seafood. I can taste some fishes, not all fishes, Salmon yeah. being the predominant one, and I can taste seafood. Um, I used to love raw oysters, and I can still enjoy raw oysters the way that I used to. And shrimp, I actually didn't used to like shrimp, but shrimp tastes the same as they used to taste. Plus, if you prepare them with a um, sort of the tomato horseradish sauce, I mean, the horseradish sauce is wonderful because it bypasses the olfactory bulb. So you yeah. serve shrimp with a sauce, and that works for me. So the whole menu was based around foods that provide either similar or alternative kinds of gratification. But what was interesting, I don't know, I don't understand the science of it, except for the trigeminal nerve part, but um, but there are foods that resonate and that taste as they used to. Yeah. I can just say as a fellow anosmic, I mean, coming to your house and eating dinner in your home was fantastic. But the fact that it was prepared for us, like you prepared it for your, for things that you could enjoy, but also for things that other people who have anosmia would enjoy is just so meaningful. I can't, oh, well, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just because that doesn't happen very often. Right, so when it's right. something that's like tailor made for you, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so fantastic. So what's, what's interesting is as, as you're describing it, I mean, I, I feel like we all have certain food groups in common. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I, I discovered early on the cucumbers just taste foul. Mm. And for me, a cucumber is arguably a really benign food. It doesn't have that much taste. It right. has a crunch, and if it's cold, it's it's sort of satisfying in a salad. But it's not a strong flavor. That said, you know, post-diagnosis, it's just disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there are, just, there are certain foods that I avoid that I look at and think it's 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 hard to think why this would be an aggressive food. But right. some yeah. things are, and I just, you know, I just stay away from them. I don't like chicken anymore. I used to eat chicken probably twice or three times a week. I haven't eaten chicken in a year. Yeah. I'm trying to think of certain certain foods for me that are just like a no-go now. I think that anything that's kind of just, smushy like for example um like an overripe banana would make me probably vomit like gross just gross (laughs) like it can go in a smoothie but I cannot just like actually physically eat it now or I would probably get sick and see I think part of that is because we can't taste it anymore and so it's only a function of texture and it's disgusting and the the, the mushy texture is just gross yeah yeah it's pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, I feel that way about guacamole now. Mm. Oh, man. Guacamole is so good, though. <laughs> but 
only for me. It's got to have a lot of tomato and a lot of spice in it. And it has to be on a chip. You know what I mean? Like we have to get the the, the crunchy chip in there. A tortilla chip, a corn yeah. chip. Yes, <laughs> then it's then it's palatable. That's yeah. Right. I mean, it's just it's kind of weird, but anyway, that's, that's so what funny. it is. We need to like um, survey all in Osmix and figure out the food groups that we find <laughs> appealing and disgusting, and then right. see if there's anything in common. So I, I talk to Chrissy Kelly every now and again mm-hmm. um, from uh, from her organization in in England. Yeah, and there really are some commonalities in the foods that are let fewer commonalities in the foods that we can taste, more commonalities in the foods that we find to be just simply unpleasant at, at some level or another. Oh, so it is kind of interesting. There there are some sort of patterns. I'll have to reach out to her and see if she has has like a list. Yeah, she's she's got she's an interesting resource. Yeah, she definitely is. Her organization Absent, they're doing good things. They are doing wonderful things, yeah. And she's a great she's just a great woman. Yes. Uh okay, so to transition to another question for you. When smell comes up in your day-to-day life, do you take the time to explain to people that you can't smell? In the beginning, I did. For me, it was horrifying in the beginning. And I expected to, to get that reaction out of people around me. I expected people to be empathetic to what I considered to be just this life-altering, horrible thing. And I didn't, I mean, most people just didn't have that reaction. Most people thought, oh, well, you're exaggerating or you know, it's not the big a deal, you know, it's not a brain tumor, it's not. And so eventually, and, and, and then people would sort of say, well, taste this, try this. Mm. It's like, it doesn't work that way. You know, it's just, I'm sorry, but that's not helping. And eventually I just sort of stopped trying to describe it because Mm -hmm. partly when you describe something like that, you have an expectation of what the reaction is going to be. And if the reaction is consistently not what you expect, it's just the uh, the gratification goes away. So mm. I really don't talk about it very much. And, uh, for example, Sunday night I was at a dinner party. And it was my understanding of it academically is that it was a really good dinner party. It was very good food. And so I just sort of sat there and ate my portion and said, oh, yeah, this is wonderful. And nobody knew or cared. Right. So I did, I did drink one weird thing. So precondition, I was not, I wouldn't say a teetotaler, but I didn't drink. I mean, I had maybe a glass of wine a week or every two weeks. I really enjoy wine now. Mm. And it's something, first of all, it's very cold and crisp, particularly, I mean, I drink, I didn't used to drink white wine, but now I drink white wine because it is cold. It is crisp and I can taste wine. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good and it's not good because I come home every night after work and think, maybe I'll have a glass of wine for dinner. Right. And, you know, <laughs> I just have to be mindful. So Yeah. Yeah. So, no. so the wine at the dinner party was really good. And so I could honestly say, yeah, this is really good. Yeah. You have to like pick and choose little snippets that you can still be genuine about. That's right. Um, I can't remember who I was speaking to. I think it was back at the beginning of the podcast. And so I'll have to, I I apologize for whoever that person is, if they're thinking, hey, that's me. But there was someone who mentioned, like, they say that they're grateful for, like, the beautiful setting of the table 
or that they're grateful for like being together as friends and things like that. When people ask them like, how's, how's it going? Like, how are you enjoying it? Because Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was a woman like felt like she couldn't say like the food was good necessarily, but she was able to like get around that by just like complimenting other things. And I thought that was kind of cool. But I mean that, I think that that is the way that you cope. Um, You look at sort of the peripheral stuff. And as I said, you know, for me, Part of it is temperature, part of it is texture, but also a beautiful table setting. There's a way in which I appreciate those things more because some of the other things don't impact me at all. Mm-mm. And so the, it's, it's like the priorities kind of change. Right. Um, so I, I understand that. And, it, it, and I think that works for me as well. You know, you, you go to an event and you're looking for, okay, what am I going to enjoy about this? And you just sort of shift your focus. Yeah. From what, yeah, I would agree. My next question for you is one that I like to ask everyone, and there's no correct answer, but I'm just curious in your thought process. Do you self-identify as having a disability? You know, I was thinking about that today, and I think a part of me, sees it as a disability because of certain experiences. But you can't really, it's hard to get up every day and think I have a disability. It's just hard. And so eventually you kind of say, okay, you know, I'm I'm probably not going to die from this. And there are a whole lot worse things that could have happened to me. And so I don't think about it all the time anymore. In the beginning, I really did. But you also set up uh, safeguards for yourself. So, I mean, I, I did have an experience, which I talked about actually um, in the PSA that we're going to talk about later, I think, Yeah. Um, where I had a gas leak and and I had no idea. I, we had had some work done and they had put in some new gas pipes and apparently there was a fitting or something that just wasn't soldered properly. And it was a, a pretty big gas leak and somebody came and said, oh my God, there's a strong smell of gas in the house. And it's like, really? I had no idea. And so we called a plumber and they, they shut the whole house down because it was a really, really pretty aggressive uh, gas leak. Mm. And had someone not come over and smelled it, I'm not sure what would have happened. So that's when you think of it as a disability. Mm -hmm. But, but as a general rule, you know, you sort of learn to compensate. So for example, I have timers all over the house now. I have I have Alexa in several places. I hope she didn't hear me just now when I said that. Um, (laughs) And so I set timers and I'll just say, you know, set the timer for three minutes, for five minutes, for 12 minutes. Because if, for example, if I'm cooking something and I walk into the other room, I might not hear the timer in the kitchen. So I set one on my watch or I set one on my phone or I set one. I I just, I have timers all over so that I, I know when a time is up for whatever I happen to be doing. Right. Uh, so what what ends up happening is you just compensate for the ordinary things. I burned some dinners because I didn't set the timer or I didn't hear the timer go off or something like that. And, you know, those are frustrating kinds of things. But we sort of have a family joke, which is that as much as I've always loved to cook and have been pretty good at it, I burn toast. I just I have always burned toast and we got to the point where I said I love burned toast 
So having this condition makes it much more okay for me to just burn the toast. Right. And so, you know, I mean, it, it becomes a part of your everyday life and you just sort of compensate for it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like you break your arm, it's in a cast, you learn how to scratch yourself with your other hand. Right. But, no, that's true. And, and that's just, so, so I do, do I see it as a disability? There are moments, but I just, I can't, it's just a, this is a personal thing. I can't get up in the morning and feel disabled. I just can't do it. Right. Yeah. I enjoy, I enjoy asking that question because every person so far that I've asked has their own personal take on it. And I think that's, that's the coolest part about it is just to kind of hear the thought processes that are going on with different people. So thank you for sharing. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So my next question for you, what would you want people who do not have anosmia to know about what it's like for you having anosmia? What would you want them to just to know about it or to focus on? Oh gosh. I've thought about that. You know, in the beginning, I made a whole list of things that people I it was like as like a preoccupation that I had with people knowing ordinary things in the day that they that they would be doing without. So for example, you get up in the morning and you brush your teeth and you can't taste the toothpaste. Mm. And then you take a shower and you can't smell the soap. And then you put on your clothes and for me I had a I had a particular I had a summer fragrance and a winter fragrance and it doesn't mm. matter anymore. I didn't wear my fragrance for other people. I wore it for me. Right. But I can't smell it. It doesn't matter anymore. So I don't do my fragrance. And then you make coffee. And I love the smell of coffee. I might love the smell of coffee more than I or than I ever liked the taste of coffee. Right. But I can't smell <laughs> coffee. And the smell of burnt toast. And you kiss your husband. And your husband has a smell. You mm-hmm. kiss your kids. Every kid has his own or her own smell. I have you know, three boys and they all smell different. And frankly, they all smell terrible most of the time. But, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, those are the kinds of smells that all happens before you even leave the house in the morning. Right. And then you get in your car and you turn on the engine and maybe there's an occasional whiff of the gasoline or whatever. And, you know, as you go through the day, I mean, I made this sort of, I became obsessed with making this list of all the things the familiar things that just are gone. Mm. And it was, it was kind of interesting because in the beginning when I was trying to explain to people what this condition was about, I was using my list. And I think eventually people sort of looked at me and if I walked into the room, they'd roll their eyes and walk in the other direction because, you know, frankly, people just aren't that interested in those kinds of things. Right. I think, I think they can't relate to it until it matters. And it doesn't matter till they have the condition. And so I kind of gave up on doing that unless I encountered someone who demonstrated a higher level of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, I guess I want people to know that it's, it's pretty life altering. And certainly we live with it just like anybody with any other kind of medical condition, I hope learns to live with whatever it is, but it's, um, it's not very well understood a lot of people don't care very much. And I feel like there needs to be more attention to it because, I mean, just because, you know, unless there's a gas leak, you don't die from this. doesn't mean that it's any less serious and impairing 
in the quality of your life. And I guess that's kind of what I, the message I'd want to give to people. Yeah. Just, just to think about that. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of what you just said resonated with me where you're talking about, like, you really want them to get it. Like you want to share and you want to explain, you want to carry around your lists of like, look at this, look at this list of all these things that you're, that I'm no longer experiencing that you get to experience. And then like, look at how terrible it is. But a lot of people, like you said, they're not ready to receive that unless it is personally impacting them. But we're on the other side, like, I need you to understand. Right. Yeah. But right. Yeah. That's unfortunate. So, and it's, I mean, and that's a little frustrating, which is partly why I just really don't talk about it very much anymore, except, except in a sort of a safe environment where there are other anosmics. And, and right. that's actually one of the reasons why I kind of like getting together with people who share the experience periodically. There's something very comforting and reinforcing about being around people with the same condition. Exactly. I agree. So another question that I have for you, um, if you could have a sense of smell again, a complete functioning sense of smell again, would you want that back? Unquestion- I, I have made my peace. I'm hoping at some point things are going to get dramatically better. And, but, but given what I have in my life otherwise, I'm good. That said, if it were to come back, I would be, a, I would be appreciative beyond a description here. Yes, yeah. I want it back. I do. Yeah, I agree. I think I'd be very overwhelmed. I think um, I would be overwhelmed, but I would also be so happy. Right. You yeah. Know, to smell a cake baking, you know, to smell my son after he's been exercising, you know, to smell the dogs and they come in from the rain, which is not a pleasant smell, but it's just, you know, to smell the rain, you know, just to smell my Chanel number 19. Right. Whatever, random, you know, to smell my burnt toast. Yeah, in a heartbeat. I want those things back, for sure. That's good. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So the next thing I kind of want to talk about, it's not necessarily a question, but I wanted to bring it up for everyone. So this episode that today that you and I are talking, it's actually going to be released on Anosmia Awareness Day, which mm-hmm. is February 27th. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that we were able to do, um, so I've got, I've been able to meet you a few times in person, which has been great. Uh, we actually got to travel to Philadelphia last June in 2019 to be in an anosmia awareness video that was created by the Monell Center. And so they're publishing that video today, anosmia awareness day. I kind of just want to talk about that. It was just kind of a cool experience. I mean, I guess what were your thoughts or how are your feelings about that trip? I thought it was wonderful. First of all, I felt like Everyone was just hugely supportive and helpful. I mean, the folks at, at the Monell Center are amazing. Mm-hmm. I, everyone I've met there has been smart and helpful and empathetic and interesting. And just real, I mean, I just really like the people from there. But also, they're doing hugely great work. And so when they asked both of us I mean, to, to do this PSA, I jumped at the opportunity and said, whatever I can do to help them. Yeah. Right. Um, the, the, the whole experience, you know, we stayed in a, in an Airbnb, which was really nice. And yeah. um, you and I got to spend some time together. We got to spend some time with Jennifer Trackman uh, yep. from Manel and she's just wonderful. And I think the, uh, the, the guys who did the video were, they asked great questions and I feel like they brought out 
good things in both of us. Yeah. I So earlier when you were talking about how we were talking about how we had the dinner at your home, and it was one of the very few times I've experienced that where a meal was prepared specifically for me in mind. I'm just thinking about our trip to Philadelphia for that video. The evening before the video shoot, a representative from Monell, Leslie, she had brought us specific snacks. Yes. <laughs> For having an Aussie, and I was just like, I almost wanted to cry. I thought that was, first of all, it was just incredibly kind, but it was just, these are people who get it. And it's, I didn't, I didn't actually have a sense of how nice it was to be around people who get it until, until that night. Um, And I think that that was partly why I thought, okay, when we had the opportunity to, to, to get together after this conference at NIH it was like okay I'm just going to do a dinner for people with the condition yeah and it just because because it's a it's a kind of a support network and you know we come from inordinately different places perhaps but there's this commonality and it's um it's comforting yeah I agree. So on the day that this episode is posting, it'll be on Announcing Awareness Day, February 27th. The Monell Center should be publishing that video. So I'll make sure that I link to it um, at the end of our conversation. And like when this episode is published, I'll put that there. So everyone can go and watch me and you in this Monell Center video, which is pretty cool. It's about three minutes long. Super wonderful. Yeah. So March, do you have anything else that you'd like to share with us? people want to reach out to me, they can. I'm on Facebook with my name, Marge Rosner. You know, happy to answer questions for other anosmics. I've been trying to reach out to folks at the Today Show because I have this probably crazy notion that somebody from there should be spending energy focusing on the condition. Right. Um, We'll see if that works. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Right. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I've been sending them sort of a daily message. Hey, it's me again. So we'll see where that goes. It may go nowhere. That would but be you cool. know what? The answer is going to be no if I don't do something. So if the answer is no and I did do something, at least I tried. Exactly. Um, what else? I don't know. You know, I just, I guess there's hope. Uh, there's lots of research going on. Oh, one thing, I was in a research study at uh, WashU. Uh, there's a, a guy there, Dr. Jake Lee, who's doing a study of, of, of theophylline washes using a Neomed. And so I'm waiting to hear the results of that, you know, and I have this and I, I have met several people along the way who over a period of years have had some recovery. And I guess that's good news. Yeah. And I guess those are the kinds of things that I sort of hang on to. It's like, you know, over time, we're going to get better. It's just that you don't wake up one day and it's, hey, it's better. You know, it's a process. So I'm hoping we're all in the middle of a process. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on and speaking with me today. Um, it's pleasure. been it's been a joy to to talk with you for the podcast. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. I can't wait to see you again. Well, <laughs> it's just it's a good thing to be able to to get together with people with the same condition and just share our experiences. So it's my pleasure. Thanks to March for coming on the Smell Podcast to be interviewed and for sharing her story with us. And thank you to the Monell Center for inviting us to be featured in their video titled Tackling Smell Loss. Like I had mentioned at the beginning, make sure to go and watch the video, which was also published today by the Monell Center. The link will be in the show notes.
If you are financially capable of donating, please click on the link to donate to the Monell Center Anosmia Giving Project. The link is also in the show notes. If you'd like to learn more about the Theophylline study by Washington University School of Medicine that March mentions toward the end of the conversation, again, you can click on the link in the episode description. If you have a story that you'd like to share, or if you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, please email me at thesmellpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at thesmellpodcast, and you can now visit me online at thesmellpodcast.com. I'm always interested in sharing listener stories. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Smell Podcast if you listen using iTunes. Reviews are helpful because they allow others to find the show. And finally, if you would like to financially support the podcast, you can do so by clicking on the link in the episode description. I appreciate your support. And a huge shout out to everyone who currently contributes to the show. Your generosity makes the podcast possible. Until next time, have a great day and happy Anosmia Awareness Day 2020.